0: Hey
1: everyone.
2: We're What's back. On? What is going on? That's a question. That's a question everybody everybody wants to know the answer to, right? Yeah. What is going on?
3: And and when when will my team win?
2: Which team is that? My team? Well
3: everyone has their team, you know. Their side. Yeah. They want to win, they want vision. The, yeah. Yeah. There are many different teams out there? There's two basic ones. What's that? Conservative, liberal, as the Americans call it. Mm. Left, right. Mm. Nationalist, globalist. Woke versus. Mm. Trad. Mm. Trad cats and the like, you know. Because that is like, what else would drive people to, you know, activism? Activism. Hmm. They, like we've asked ourselves, like, what was it that motivated us to, you know, comment and comment and to, to do and do. Like yourself, you've been doing 20 years. Write articles, try and get the word out. No one's talking about it. I must get the word out. Because
2: mm, you know? it's going to make all the difference.
3: That's why people are thinking. Yeah. Someday we will. You shall see. They all shall see the light, and uh, I will be. But if people, justified. But if people realize we
2: we're in a situation of never the twain shall meet,
3: exactly.
2: then they wouldn't be doing that, right? They can't meet. Yeah. <clears throat> well, maybe they would still do it, but they wouldn't be doing it with exactly the same amount of fervour and, and belief that, uh, you know, the, 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 the people who don't agree with them are simply uh, misinformed or don't understand, and if I can just tell them. But I think that's a process that people are going through, and more and more people are beginning to realise that, which produces a kind of a a polarization between the two camps, where they simply stop actually talking to each other or tr- stop trying to convince each other, and get into a onto a kind of war footing, you know, um, yeah. because they realize that there's no point. You know, th- th- it's not that these people are misinformed from one one side's perspective. Or one, one one side, be- both sides begin to realize that the other side is not simply misinformed, uh, and no amount of facts or, you know. Details or argumentation, or whatever will is going to ever convince them, and they realize that the two opposing sides, are their side and the other side, are mutually exclusive. They're they're not compatible. Basically, there is no, like I said, no 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 possibility for a meeting of minds. And uh, but that doesn't stop people from ranting about it. In fact, sometimes it turns up the do- volume on the on the rhetoric and the the anger and the vitriol. You know what I mean? You'd think it would kind of make people okay. Listen, there's nothing to Nothing to achieve here, but then they but they say no. There is something to achieve here. We're at war, effectively. Beforehand, it was just apparently disagreement. Now we're effectively at war.
3: Hmm. Yeah, the first hurdle that people get over is <clears throat> it's worth me investing all my time and energy in this because the upcoming election is there to be fought for mm. and won. And they get over that hurdle when they realize. There's no changing politics of it. So they think, well, okay, what's the next thing I can change? Maybe I'll plant some seeds for the future or maybe, you know, kind of like Steve Bannon, if you're on the right, or his predecessor before he died, um, Breitbart. They explicitly stated that their thing was not to go after elections, was not to do a George Soros and to literally pay for the candidates who would run for the party to win, but to create in their case media new media mm. new movements strategize in ways to to shift it downstream from politics and it would later flip the politics all by itself right, right. It, in yeah. other r- roundabout ways It's infowars right Info Alex, Wars. Jones, Info Alex Wars. Jones coined that term yeah <laughs> we'll 25 years ago yeah yeah, yeah. But, but the, now, then, 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 you know. Suppose that the, the, what we've just opened up with talking about here is the terminus of that realization—the the ultimate black pill. Maybe that's the term. I'm not sure. Well, the ultimate red pill, really, is when you realize that no, there is no, there is no great mass awakening. There are large numbers of people out there who think like you. We seem to fall into types of peoples. So it's it is worth. Reminding them, or even maybe even waking them up, but even then, you, you want to be careful with your, your hubris about what you can and can't do, you know, to help someone else. You're adding a weight, though, to a, a body of information that does draw like types, like minded types, over time in aggregate to your side. But you're never going to, you're never, you're never talking about a majority. You're never talking about a revolutionary vanguard, mm. you know, who can take take our country back. Seventy seventy six, you know, mm. that that can and does happen. But the ones who end up the most committed for that—they've been prepared to kill their way into that position—and then kill mil- many millions more to achieve it—they mm. are your revolutionaries. You don't want to be in fighting in that in that corner when that comes, whether you're on the left or the right. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah that's definitely not your um mm-hmm. definitely not our type's mm-hmm. game in this you know our investment in figuring out the truth spreading the truth yeah and so but then they say well what's the point what are you doing then i do this just for the for this to, to get it clear in my own head no no i'm not i'm not here to stir the shit per se i want to get things clear in my own, my own head because you learn it can be confusing you learn? there's massive yeah, mass misinformation. Generated. So you learn it, by
2: you learn by speaking,
3: by by collecting it, by paying attention. The, the study of the daily application, but like, not an obsession with it. You, you can only do so much and go so far. You're going to have to. You have questions about it in your head. There's no point in spending the next three weeks on Wikipedia and um, science papers and so on to figure it out definitively. It's an ongoing, slow accumulation. You have to keep the questions open Mm. because it will take something to click into place weeks or years from now before you go, oh, man, that's... that's," And that's what this means. You
2: can learn details about specific situations that are interesting to you, right? And that are fulfilling or stimulating whatever to learn to figure something out and go, oh, and, and, you know, the minutiae of it. But it's not that you're learning, you're you're finding the answer to to the... (laughs) you know, the big answer, the all and everything answer, because that answer is actually there in a certain sense. Um, And I think a lot of people are going through the process of getting to that answer. Um, They go through the minutiae and the details and they figure out slowly, bit by bit, by putting little pieces together and are forming a picture for themselves, an overall picture of what goes on. And people are at different stages along that process of forming that big-picture explanation for themselves. But that big-picture explanation ultimately, I think, means that you don't really do anything. You, you you don't engage in any activism. You don't go out in the street protesting or marching or whatever, you know. It doesn't mean you stop, you don't talk about it, but you do it from a personal interest perspective rather than from a perspective of thinking that what you're doing is going to change the world or change the other side or bring peace and prosperity to the to the land type thing, you know. Uh, once you understand enough, you've done enough research and looked at the picture and seen it throughout history in particular and then leading, leading up to today, you you can't but draw that conclusion that yeah. that there is no um, one solution to the to the problems that you see in the planet however you see them. Yeah. Um, they're there for, they're actually, they're simply, it seems to be the only function they really serve, which is not an insignificant function, is for people to uh, chew over them to, for people to get into them to, to to look at them to to respond to those problems to respond to social problems etc etc and to in that way draw conclusions from them or learn from them and whatever they, what they learn is up to them really it's up to yeah. them. it's it's a function of each individual
3: yeah yeah <clears throat> if they're truly honest with people the activist influencer types will at some point realize maybe only with hindsight topic x y or z that they were really pushing on and like really really had a heart on for you know a certain number maybe even years back something will click in their brain about it and they'll see it in a new light and if they're really honest with their audience they'll go like i was taken for a ride there turns out that was cia disinfo Mm -hmm. and or some kind of um, maybe not so, so scripted and so clean cut, mm-hmm. but simply wrong. It was based on wrong assumptions mm-hmm. that are now outdated. And I was putting a very hard and fast stance on this. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you all to, you know, click and like with me and join the cause and stuff. A truly honest person will come to that realization that I've been used that in fact, it's almost a telltale sign when they're most sure about a topic. And they're getting multi-million views about it and the money's coming in. And, you know, they're honest with the money. It's going back out for the cause, maybe to spread awareness or to invest in a new documentary, et cetera, et cetera. Not necessarily to, you know, run candidates in a campaign or something. Mm -hmm. They're truly honest. They'll realize that they've been had by something, by a force, that they, they were swept away by a force that was bigger than them. And whether it was always... Scripted from the beginning of it, or whether it developed that way when big money came in and co opted a movement. That is what happens over and over again. I've had that myself, and that has been part of what has helped me to, to um, restrain the horses. Mm-hmm. When take, I feel like something's come, like, when I feel like. No, this one I'm gonna. We really have to get the truth out about this. You know, no, that's not correct. And I'm gonna what correct are, him. And I'm gonna start a fight with him about there, it. I'm, you're all wrong, and this is the right thing. Are
2: there not? Are there not some things that are that are objectively true, uh, and that should be spoken? that should be spread uh, that you can be sure of. Basically, that that you don't have to have to doubt. You sure, know, there are some things.
3: Sure, sure. But, and they,
2: they tend to be very fundamental things, very basic things, rather than complicated geopolitical type uh, analyses, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. They tend to be yeah, fundamental human values that go back a very long time, I think.
3: Yeah, and it, you should be able to see when someone's articulating that point of view. it should click or, or resonate with mm-hmm. you, as they say, um, because you will immediately be able to notice how it can be generally applied, how it, it fits in other but, contexts. Yes, but the, it has a universally true
2: yeah. essence to it. You have to get philosophical at the end of the day because you can say that some things are fundamentally true. Let's say like protecting children, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's not, it that shouldn't be up for debate, right? But it obviously is up for debate these days. Uh, whether you should protect children, what protecting children is and what caring for children is. Uh, it seems that, you know, uh, the, mud, the water has been extremely, you know, has been muddy to, to a great extent on that to the point that there are some people who believe that where doing actually actually doing, objectively doing harm to children is in their own best interest because the children, children express uh, a desire for harm to be done to them for whatever psychological reasons, whatever, you know. So um, that's the problem. So when you even go there and you, fa- you think you found a fundamental truth that's universally true and no one can disagree with it and you realise that a lot of people actually are actually disagreeing about those fundamental things, those fundamental truths as you see them or that you think everybody should see them as fundamental truths and you see that people are actually dis- disagreeing with them and, and contesting them. It's at that point where they realise there is no one answer that's going to fit for everybody. There is no one truth or one um, yeah w- one truth that uh, everybody's going to agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, you, and therefore, you, you would see the, the, the you, c- you can understand the reluctance to actually bother trying to argue for that truth when you see a lot and there's a lot of people pushing back against it. You know what I mean? I mean, there's an argument there where you'd say that some people, there's manipulation going on. If you find a fundamental truth like, that, let's say, protecting children, you see other people who are arguing for actually harming children. And you realise that there are some people out there who are well intentioned who might get taken in by the argument for harming children. Then <laughs> the, the, it's important for you to, to, to be part, one of the voices saying, no, don't harm children. They would harm never acknowledge that they're harming children, though. They think they're improving no, them. Of course. But yeah. there are other people in the middle, you know? Hmm. The, the whole, the only reason, the only reason to argue for, Certain values or certain principles at this point is when you posit that there's a there's a group of people in the middle who are undecided or who can be influenced, and you have an interest in making sh- trying to prevent them from being manipulated and pulled in pulled to the dark side. Let's say, mm. you know, okay. what I mean that. I, mean, I think
3: most, but it should primarily be to remind yourself that, that where you stand on it. Yeah, you know, saving others. For, okay, well, you're you're helping sending you may be doing some good but you're sending out a signal and you're keeping a place a counterpoint a counter lightning rod a point of attraction away from the message from central authority yeah and that's good to keep that going and there's lots of people doing that and they serve that great function but you know to win this this is, we may actually be seeing the unveiling if this is the apocalypse the time of the unveiling this is the unveiling of an eternal mm. battle and between, between, yeah. The good between. side, if they're true to what the ancient equivalents of their side apparently articulated, it can't ever be one. It's not there to be one. It's an eternal struggle.
2: Yeah, it just goes round and round, happens all but the time. But that
3: doesn't mean, yeah, that doesn't mean you stop and you be quiet or you give up and you roll over to the other side. No, you, the strength of your activism is more to keep yourself from being swayed by it, and by by, by articulating that, it you you're, should, you're going to help others right. do the same thing yeah that's and that's it you know what I mean it, it becomes it's a lot less of
2: a I suppose so the one thing you pull back from you draw a revolutionary back, yeah you draw a line at the idea of defeating the other side because you recognize that the, that other side this forces of from your perspective the forces of darkness let's say uh, are can, now cannot be defeated. They will no. always exist and always come back, whatever. And it's just about aligning yourself with one side or the other, choosing based on your nature to, to align yourself and, and you know, kind of solidify, solidify your orientation to one side or the other based mm. on your choice. Um, yep.
3: yeah. And sometimes things pop up that is not clear either what happened or, 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 or where the values are right. in what is happening through Whether it. it's good or bad. And that, w- we should talk, we we do. We talk it out amongst ourselves, with our mates, and then we come on here and we talk about it some more, and it only takes form maybe after a week. And you see it happening across the whole in- infosphere online. People are unsure. That they take one side initially and then they switch. Yeah. So sometimes there are genuine curveballs, but for the most part, you can tell us straight away. When somebody's taking a stance on the COVID, or Ukraine war, or climate. We all do that sort of quick calculus and we mm. go, they probably have the same similar opposite stance to me on all the other issues as well. So, mm. yeah. sometimes not though.
2: No, sometimes there's, uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes it's complicated. It just gets, it gets very murky, obviously, in that, you know, when you have forces of quote-unquote good and evil operating from, in the ether or whatever, or in, in human consciousness, and human society. And when it gets transduced down into and through a human being and how they express it, it can become very complicated and very, very, you know, messy, you know what I mean? Which makes it even more difficult to to, to call it one way or another. You often yeah. can't call it one way or another. And an example is, um, for example, let me let me show you this. Uh, it it kind of came up. I put up a few pictures, like, and it's a good example of what we're talking about, actually, and... Um, it was in, in Germany. Um, it was a, a march. A march of certain people, as you'll see in, in Germany. Um, just throw this up, Scotty. And uh, just uh, some pictures of, of the actual march. Um, like I'll just leave these here. These are Ukrainians in Germany. Just click a neat picture there. So the war is not over. And then the next one. Those are a couple of LGBTQ people who um, who have been fighting uh, for the existence of Ukraine and we need them in NATO. And then the next one is Be Pride, Be Like Ukraine. And then the last one is uh, Donbass is Gay. So um, <laughs> so I'm like, this is okay. Th- so this is an example.
3: Depending on your nature, you see what you want to see. <laughs> well,
2: right. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you can see what's going on there. How You know, I don't know. Can you see what's going on there? What is going on? Why are a bunch of, you know, peace-loving LGBTQ people, you know, promoting war in Ukraine, you know, or, or, or supporting conflict in Ukraine and tying it in with their own ideology of LGBTQ, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? But this then is from the... This, this is from the same... The same
3: march it was
2: like it was a anti-fascist feminist lgbtq it was so
3: what the pride thing per se
2: well yeah as well it was oh. all mixed in there It was weird but just have a listen to this
3: oh yeah oh. There's I, there's well.
2: from the river to the sea palestine will be free uh-huh. So, little Palestinian flags and a load of pride flags and, and rainbow so flags, etc. Et that's et cetera, an
3: appropriate on. protest against actual toxic masculinity, or one expression of it,
0: mm-hmm. arguably.
3: Namely, Israel's ultra nationalism having real world oppression mm-hmm. against the minority. hmm for religious and ethnic reasons. That's mm-hmm. an actual expression of the discrimination and the diversity, equity, inclusion that all their lingo talks about. Well, Oppressed
2: people everywhere. That is correct. It's all oppressed people.
3: But there's layers to it. You notice they're speaking in English. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because Why chap- not German? The, I don't know. Maybe because and it's, that talks it's international. To, that talks to the globalization process, that talks to the Americanization of Europe... The American occupation and control of Europe, argue, arguably that's a bit of a rough term to use because they would all be like, "What are you talking about?" But and yet they would say to me, "What are you talking about?" In English, but mm-hmm. the yeah. you know, so there's there's it's, it's textured and layered and sometimes. Well, I suppose if I'm being really harsh with them, I would say, "Well, twice a day, a broken clock." You know, yeah. you can be right. Um, yeah. Can I have your uh, one of your two lighters? Mine's out of gas. I'm out of. Juice, here. Yeah. Need more oil. Anyway. More oil. Well do you want to start with Ukraine and all related issues? Um, I have a like I have a question for you. We discussed it months ago when there were Russian troop movements into Belarus and oh my mm. god, are they going Colonel right. McGregor's like they're gonna swoop down at the Pinson movement? Um
2: or, sorry that Wagner. Was,
3: that was last year. Since then we've had the Wagner mm. LARP mutiny coup-ish coup mm. ish coup. And Wagnerites have apparently stationed in Yeah, it's in kind Belarus. of interesting.
2: It, it ties in, obviously, with... White, in fact, but,
3: just, yeah? the, the news item today is that Putin is meeting Lukashenko. And Lukashenko's dropping a few um, hints about this.
2: Yeah. Talking about
3: the Wagnerites. Um, he says, yeah, I've been talking to some of them and um, they're pretty worked up. They're pissed off. They, they want to go over the border into Poland and settle some scores with some guys they met in... Bakhmut. Yeah, just dropping that out there in front of the press, and Putin didn't say anything responsible.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's inter- they want to go on an excursion to the west. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because th- I mean that's smacks of both you know Putin and Lukashenko kind of like coyly uh, tro- trolling, trolling in a certain sense, but using the whole. You know notoriety of Wagner, but also the fact that Wagner might be kind of rogue in a certain sense. You know what I mean, which is obviously typified by Prokofiev's LARP, um, LARP up to Moscow or halfway to Moscow, or not even halfway to Moscow uh, a couple of weeks ago. There, a few weeks ago, when he tried to, when the coup, supposedly the coup, uh, that obviously bolsters the idea that um, Wagner is this kind of potentially rogue element of the. Not, not, not even really of the Russian military. You know, a private military company uh, in Russia that's loyal to Russia, and they're, well, Jesus, they're like, they're off the leash, right? I mean, they they, they just supposedly tried to have a coup, tried to tried to coup and coup Moscow, coup the Kremlin, um, and were only held back by you know Putin's sober sober mind and sober sober actions, and now they're in Belarus, um, and um, yeah. You never know what they do. They're, they're 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 worked up, and they wanna they wanna go to um they wanna go and go, go to Poland for a for a holiday. Um, but it it also is not in the context of the claims, or and Putin himself said it that the that the poles were planning to uh, or had some idea of invading um, Western Ukraine or take trying to take you know, It's been a claim made for quite a long time that the the poles had designs on Western Ukraine. You know.
3: Um, and
2: yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
3: You carry on. Put that one up. This is there was a formal report issued by Norishkin the, the head of Russia's FSB. I think. Uh, and then Putin made commentary on that in his speech, virtual speech mm. to the Russian Security Council, which right. was which was aired. That's the reason it became a topic at all. So always, Poland
2: considering sending troops to Western Ukraine, Russian foreign.
3: Yeah. Um, and what do you mean by that now? Uh, the uh, non-FSB, SVR head, believes that Warsaw is coming to realize that the defeat of Ukraine is a matter of time in referring to the the front line of the south of Ukraine. And that, that quote here from him, Naryshkin says, the Polish leadership is intensifying the mindset. So they're talking abstractions, but maybe they've seen things on the ground to, to support it, to introduce control in the western territories of Ukraine. By deploying their troops there, um, not the first time the Russians said, "I've run up this, run this up the flagpole." Um, there's no concrete intensifying. The mindset isn't the same as you know we're seeing actual build up of Russian Polish forces. Maybe there are though on the borders there, um, either with Belarus or. Western Ukraine, yeah, but there, there was obviously all sorts yeah. of activity there because of them. That's where the mercenaries, right? It's, come it's in
2: presented as a, as a historical uh, desire on the part of the poles to grab a piece of you know it was formerly part of part of Poland, uh, part of Western Ukraine. But that would obviously be supported. They wouldn't be doing that without the the blessing of the Americans. And the Americans um, would be happy for. I mean, that would be part of the overall U.S. led strategy in Ukraine. Which is, but what it points to for me is that the conflict in Ukraine is not going very well for the Western powers and for the Ukrainian uh, military in particular. And it's it's coming to the point. This is obviously isn't happening right now, but it's the fact that it's being mooted is uh, the next crossroads. It suggests that that the conflict may be coming to a a denouement, let's say, and the plan that they have on the books, the the U.S. has on the books, is that Poland slash NATO would. Invade Western Ukraine and take a part of it in order to seize the conflict. Basically, Russia would, you know, in a certain sense, "quote unquote," win, but wouldn't um, would be prevented from getting uh, much of Western Ukraine. They would, <coughs> would, it would be the conflict would be frozen. Let's say along the river, the Dnieper River, down the middle, more or less. Russia would control the The that side, and the right-hand side. Let's say, looking from the the bottom up, uh, the eastern side of, of of Ukraine and the west. Then would control the the western side, and that would be it. And I mean, this has happened. That's happened many, many times in different conflicts throughout throughout the ages. You know, uh, that's very, very often the the conclusion to these kind of uh, great power conflicts. A uh, DMZ
3: was, with a yeah a North frozen, Korea. You know,
2: the Cold War. You know. East-West uh, and many others where there's just a, an agreement made effectively. But, you know?
3: Yeah, but that's that's one step ahead. The first step is that this has to happen, that NATO slash Polish mm. forces formally move yeah. in to the West.
2: And the suggestion here is that, that Russia isn't inclined oh. to go along with that, basically, and they're using Wagner as a threat. uh to, to Poland, you know, so right. the, the Lukashenko and, and Putin talking about or Lukashenko saying to Putin, "Hey, those right wagon guys, they're kind of a bit kind of a problem." You know, they he want said to him, w-
3: "He said, how would I say they're kind of in a bad mood?"
2: Yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> pissed off and they want to go. And, and you know, we and the implication. I'm being, trying to keep <coughs> a leash on we them. We can't them. really do much about them. Look what they did a couple of weeks ago. They took off to to try and have a coup in Moscow, and so uh, they're off the leash. Basically, these guys, and you don't want to piss them off, you know. So, um, and that's all designed to try to try and stay, you know, to discourage Poland from uh, from taking any action on Western Ukraine. Because I think the implication would be that Wagner would either, uh, you know, move down to meet any <coughs> Polish-slash-NATO troops coming into uh, Western Ukraine across the Polish border, or even worse, they would just go straight from Belarus into Poland and attack Poland to give, <laughs> give Poland... Uh, you know, like in the same way you've got Ukrainian troops' incursions into Russia, you can have a Wagner incursion across the Belarus border into Poland. Uh-huh. That gives the Poland a serious problem. You know what I mean? They take a bunch of towns, whatever, near the border, uh, and you don't want to go there. I mean,
3: Putin, um, I thought it was ominous. I have a did I send it to you, Scott. It's a, it's a tweet, but it's translated comments um, of his comments on this issue yesterday to the Russian... Um, Federal Security Council, whatever it's called. Mm. If Polish units enter, for example, the Vov or other territories of Ukraine, that's the western part, they will remain there and they will stay there forever. This will be nothing new. Let me remind you, and he goes (laughs) in to give a history of Poland. Um, I say it's ominous because in one sense it's just a benign history of Poland, a recap of the last century. But the last time I remember him giving this kind of history rundown was on the eve of, yeah, the denazification launch into Ukraine. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. So, <clears throat> but I think uh, m- was, more, yeah, uh, yeah. He pissed off Poland something fierce. They recalled their ambassador, especially for the last paragraph. If you scroll down, um, it was thanks to the Soviet Union after World War Two thanks to Stalin's position that Poland gained significant lands in the West lands of what was then Germany. That's exactly right. The Western territories of present-day Poland are Stalin's gift to the Poles, if <laughs> you talk yeah. about it.
2: Yeah, along with communism, right? Along with... Uh, along with... Along and, and everything. with 60 years, 50 years of communism. Yeah, um, yeah but... That's, I mean, the fact that he talks in those con- in those terms quite a lot in terms of historical context, like in, in, over the past hundred years, uh, and the the Cold War and the kind of like First and Second World War, he obviously sees this in, in the same context. This yeah. is just a continuation of the last, an unbroken, effectively, continuation of uh, a kind of global geopolit- geopolitical games, particularly in, in Europe uh, and Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, and with w- the involvement of the US that have, that, that, that have really unbroken since since 1914 that began in, in, with the First World War at least
3: and in which Poland the... gets chewed up every time Yeah, yeah. that's probably his objective point yeah. if you remove any hint of it being a veiled threat on mm. Russia's part he's stating an objective historical fact, Poland routinely right. gets chewed up.
2: Yeah, and the, and the thing about it is, in, in those those events throughout the 20th century over the past 100 years, the First World War, the Second World War, then the Cold War, now the New Cold War which is culminated in this conflict, <clears throat> most of that, in most of that time it, uh, all of the events and the, the results of the, the wars uh, were to America's favour, to the West's favour. That's why the West became the best and the golden billion and all that kind of stuff. Um, Putin, this is a Putin entered into, Russia has entered into this new stage in it with, with a different agenda, with an agenda to basically undo that as the, as the Russians and a lot of other people in, in, in the world see it as that, that injustice or the imbalance in global power as a result of American, American dominance over the past 100 years. To, to It's a continuation of the same kind of uh, geopolitical games and, and conflicts and wars, but this time... With a with a with a vision to
3: yeah.
2: changing the whole dynamic.
3: It's, it's ideological, but it's no longer now. It's backed by resources. Mm, exactly, the first Cold War was ideological, almost for its own sake. Um, communism versus capitalism. Mm.
2: Uh, well, the thing is, you had resources coming online throughout yeah. that entire period of time. You know, in a changing world, the development of technology and all that kind of stuff. And now the, the the situation is such that uh, it's not as easy for the West to dominate and win, and, and you know dictate terms uh, in, in a similar kind of conflict today as it was, like let's say, sixty years or seventy or eighty years ago. Um, that's at least the that's the plan. <laughs> that's the Putin plan. Like, but um, yeah. yeah, so people should see it in that context that it's not. Uh, you know it's, new, it's part of a continuum, you know, yeah, nobody alive today was probably around for the first or second world wars, or really had any imp- they had any impact on it most people didn't even really have any understanding or had no didn't have much uh of didn't experience much of an impact from the Cold war, even you know um so a lot of people alive today of age today who are commenting on it and looking at it and stuff they're a bit kind of shocked by, it, but they don't seem to understand that this really is just a it's a continuum, you know yeah it has, it, it's there's, it's unbroken from more than 100 years ago. And you have to see it in that context because that's the way the people who are actually fighting this, engaged in this conflict and fighting this geopolitical war, that's the way they see it. So why do you want to remain the little person who's kind of like going, oh, what's going on? I don't understand. Or do you want to understand it the way the people who are actually managing it understand it?
3: Hmm. Yeah. Um well, I don't know. He, he's directly involved in managing it, but there was interesting commentary from the ex-CEO of Google. Um, Schmidt, what's his name, Scotty?
4: Uh, Eric Schmidt, I
3: believe. Eric Schmidt. Did you see that one? He's on CNN with Fareed Zakaria. Um, I have it all here. Maybe we'll um, we'll play it. This isn't anything new to anyone who's paying attention to the war, but it's the first time I think I've seen on CNN a kind of objective overview of how it's playing out. And it's interesting that the, the CNN host, Fareed, is just, he just can't wrap his head around it. He's like, this is like a first world war. Why? He doesn't understand. And the guy explains to me, you know, it's because it's too it's too near competitors fighting. America not fought such a war. Since at least World War Two, um, the whole thing's worth listening. I'll I'll ask you to stop maybe here and then I'll I'll add a comment.
1: What do, to you? What does the battlefield look like? Who has the advantage?
3: The
4: thing that's shocking is
3: how big this
4: war is. It's a thousand kilometers long, and since 2014, the Russian side has dug themselves in in this horrific way. So if you were a
0: Ukrainian, I was
3: there. The, he's probably conflating. I don't think he's just <coughs> trying to get it wrong. Twenty fourteen. That's, that's not true. That thousand-kilometer line—they've been dug in since November. Mm. That's what's impressive. All it, the more impressive. Why is,
2: it, why is digging yourself in horrific? They said they dug, themse-
3: dug themselves in in this horrific way because because it's, it's absolutely grinding up everything the Ukrainians and NATO throw at it. Mm. Um,
2: so the act of digging yourself in isn't necessarily horrific. It's whenever... It's the
3: result of... It's when you try and throw yourself
2: against it. Yeah. That's what's horrific. So it's the Ukrainians' fault rather than the Russians digging in that's horrific. Uh, yes. Right. Just, just, uh, just, 20 just to truthify what he said there.
3: Russian military de- Ministry of Defense said this week that since this began on the first week of June, 26,000 Ukrainians are dead. Hmm. You multiply that by four to get the injured. Hmm. That's horrific. It, it is horrific in, in itself. um but did I, I want to interject so early because he's probably conflating two things. On the one hand, he's probably correct that the Russian military and in its entire industry, perhaps, has been gearing itself up for this since 2014. Mm. But what he's about to describe is all the more impressive because that 1,000-kilometer defensive line, or lines plural, has only been established like lightning in the last six months. Mm-hmm. So, carry on
4: soldier with your commander saying go across this five kilometer disputed area, you'd have to get through the tanks, the mines, the machine guns, their drones, you get to the other side, you do your killing, and then the back part of Russia kills you. It's an insurmountable task.
1: I was stunned to read how many shells the Russians are using.
4: Sixty thousand a day. The world production in the West can accommodate about 5,000 a day. I guess the Russians have been building artillery for about 50 years, and they have an infinite supply.
1: 60,000 a day. Now, I mean, my math, I mean, you're talking about
4: something like 20 million a year. It's mean, so to, to, crazy. Today, this is a World War I artillery war with people dug in. How incredible, 100 years later. We haven't come up with another way. If You pause American, it there.
3: That's what I said, 100 that, years later. That. That makes it sound, the way he's saying it, that w- we, i.e., in this case the Russians, haven't been able to improve on that. No, 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 mister. This is what happens when you get two near-peer competitors. And Ukraine isn't really a near-peer peer competitor. It only is to the extent that it has 50 NATO countries supplying it with everything. In that respect, this is a fairly equal match overall, right? So, uh... That's that's kind of it's 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 misinforming unintentionally readers as to listeners as to why it's a World War One like environment. It's because since then, certainly since World War Two, there hasn't been a reasonably fair clash. Korean War was arguably because the Chinese threw numbers at it, but the U.S. mainly U.S. NATO forces in that war were they had air well, what, power what, what kind of
2: war what war does he want to see in a new technological age in a modern technolo- technological age what, what difference does he want to see rather than artillery well
3: the only one the American is familiar with is you bomb the crap out of the country and then send tanks in and you but, just roll but that's over still, they, there is they, very they, little relatively little engagement they were, did that were, in
2: World War II as well in World War I they but, planes they bomb places and then they send in tanks and troops so, but I'm just the Germans,
3: Germans had, had also planes, yeah, uh, and means to shoot some of the the airplanes down. So yeah, exactly, they would have to take. Bridges. But I'm just wondering. He said
2: it's it's amazing that we're still fighting this kind of war. What war would he want? What war wars he expect to see now that we're so modern and technological? How would it be different? It's not. He says it's an artillery war, just like World War One or World War Two. What should it be like? He's so amazed that it, we're using artillery. What should we using? What should we be using? instead "In this, what should anybody be to you know, to major powers, the West involved? What, well, how should they be conducting the war differently?" Well, if take the, away artillery. What are you left with? Well, should all be just drones, maybe robots?
3: <laughs> in what, what the US has done for fifty plus years is that it has basically destroyed the enemy's army first, hmm. almost completely, and then gone in. Hmm. You know, th- there is no. And th- when it went into Serbia, it built its largest overseas air base, a uh, base at all, uh, Camp Bonsteel, because it was safe to do so. There was no organized response to it.
2: So, what he's saying is like, what he's lamenting there
3: is that there's any resistance exactly. to America. We're What That's he's saying is, we're used to turkey shoots, and it's shocking to see an actual war between so they, the two So, they New think European a modern
2: a war for uh, in the 21st century, a modern war waged by America, should be. You know, um, over the horizon kind of strikes, no direct engagement, no American planes shot down, no need for artillery because you have dominance over the airspace. Well, the, the, you maybe yeah. The, you know, that's
3: literally what, what they'll go on to explain that, that that's how their military industrial complex is organized. Up, up, yeah. how they don't make this stuff anymore. Yeah. The, uh, and I've
2: so you take away. So the main point there is you take away air superiority, you take away America's ability to to dominate the air, and you're back to World War One artillery battles. Basically,
3: well, and it's the 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 only only addition is drones, which they talk about in the second. Yeah, Yeah. carry on.
4: Trying to break through, you want to get to the Sea of Azov. You have to break through this initial line below Zaporizhia, for example, and then you have to make a corridor. Well, as you go through your corridor, they're bombing you as well.
1: And now the bombing is precision bombing, right? Because you can target more accurately. And the
4: American doctrine is that you would always do such infantry moves with air power, which the Ukrainians don't mm, have. And the air power comes in, cleans the path, and then the American gets, gets the other side running back, and then they start to win. We, meaning the Ukrainians, the U.S., the West, need a solution to get them moving.
1: So that gets us to drones. They are already using an extraordinary number of drones, the Ukrainians. How many drones are they, are they using a week or a month?
4: they're on track to using a couple hundred thousand drones in a year. Most drones only survive one or two flights before they fail or they're blocked. I was shocked at how good the Russians were at electronic warfare and jamming. Basically, everything you send into this battlefield, which is quite narrow, by the way, uh, the rest of the country is fine, I suspect on both sides. They, They jam everything. GPS is jammed, but also communications is jammed. So normal drones don't work. So the Ukrainians have taken cheap drones and added additional antenna- antennas. One of the things that I learned was something called a kamikaze drone, which is a $400 Chinese drone that carries a small payload. that moves so fast you can't shoot it down. I had thought that that was the innovation of the war. Two generals yesterday told me that I'm wrong and that what they really need are cruise missile drones, which can go really far and carry with wings and can carry more payloads. I don't think the Ukrainian drone strategy is completely formed, but they're building a completely new theory of war.
1: And this is where we get to the solution. For you, the only way the Ukrainians can break through these
4: lines is with massive numbers of drones. Massive number of drones or massive number of human casualties on both sides. The beauty of the drone is it can take out the other side's military target without collateral damage, right? We are very concerned about the, the propagation of this war against other countries, but I'm very concerned about its effect on civilians, both the Russians and the Ukrainians. The important thing about a drone is it's a very, very targeted solution. It's very inexpensive. I think the goal that we should have for Ukraine is to establish the principle that there will never be another land war where you can invade successfully. That, that respecting the, land, the sovereignty of the land is important if you're mad at them that's fine you can negotiate you can put pressure but you can't send artillery and flatten cities which is what the russians have been doing
1: how do you get uh, how do you how do you get to the solution of i mean is there can the ukrainians produce hundreds of thousands of drones
4: they have the money and they have the talent they haven't figured out how to build all the factories yet and they have to be built in ukraine for many many reasons okay. so what i know is there are we'll about leave it there because
3: since he's talking about companies and innovation. He, he gets on his Google CEO speak there that naturally he would be um, uh, advertising as the public-private partnership solution to winning the war against Russia. But in already in just some of the basic facts in his description, in his objective descript- description of what is, you see that it's, it cannot be won. And maybe in the future he's right this has maybe changed the future of warfare where drones are far more important and who has the better integrated systems to dominate the skies, to effectively jam the opponent's drones while yours succeed. Well, just on that score alone, and this maybe wasn't known by the Russians at the outset, but it is clear now. Look at the videos all day every week of these Lancet drones. They're cheap. They can't be detected using classical systems because they don't have any heat signature. Their propeller <laughs> But other drones, and they're coming in. They're wasting Bradley tanks, Challenger tanks, etc. All day, every day.
2: Yeah, that's because the Ukrainians don't have any EW electronic warfare, electronic
3: warfare uh, or they of, have ones. The they have radars. Sorry. You see some Lances coming in, and they're hitting these big antennas. You know, no. they're hitting. They're, they are hitting their EW mm-hmm. system. So the Russians are better at it. For they're
2: better at it, and they don't have the ability to kind of transport them to the to the required so, locations. You know,
3: so Schmidt sites, it's, it's actually an estimate. Fareed obviously has had his head in the sand for months mm-hmm. because the 60,000 figure was first sighted last fall
0: mm-hmm.
3: and then it fell down. Maybe it's back up in that ballpark now, the 60,000 shells fired daily by Russia. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe let's call that the upper estimate of what they do fire daily. They haven't strictly used that amount daily. But still, that volume is... Fareed is right to be shocked. That volume is so off the charts to anything that um, the American war machine is used to. Here's a Newsweek article. Um, It's a recent article. It's basically a summary of the current and future estimates of American production of the standard shell that's used. It's the 155mm artillery shell. Okay, so if you do a word search simply for 2028... In this paragraph, it actually refers back to a decision made in March this year. In March, U.S. Army Undersecretary Gabe Camarillo announced that the army would boost will boost production of one five five millimeter artillery shells more than sixfold to eighty five thousand a month by fiscal year twenty twenty eight. Eighty five thousand a month by twenty we're well, not even in twenty twenty four. A month, but the Russians are firing sixty thousand per day, so yes, war is a racket, as you said, but mm-hmm. this is a racket. they'll get rich from while they can, mm-hmm. but they cannot win i don't I don't know why is that I presume I presume it's because Russian industry is so tooled for this, and like he says, they've been quote dug in since twenty fourteen and they have a massive stockpile of stuff, and they gamed this being what has ended up being a thousand kilometer long artillery battle mm-hmm. um, that for now remember Farid said to him well how can we win this and Schmidt's answer was well there's one of two strategies you either throw people at it which is what's been done today human casualties yeah. uh, or drones And he says, we're going to innovate and Ukraine will get better and the systems will be integrated and they'll catch up with the Russians. I don't think so, dude. Mm. It's looking like technologically you're losing and also in mass, in the productive, in the old school ability to manufacture volume. So they're losing both technologically and in sheer quantity. Um, That doesn't matter. The US does not have the industrial capacity. It may by 2028 have enough to fire a tenth. Yeah, but But, then it's over. It's not serious. You you see, so you're right. War is a racket. The U.S. will, the military industrial complex will, uh, the government will issue the, the... the demands, like back in March we need this much, and they'll go okay, well we're going to add to our factory plants, we'll do what we can mm-hmm. but you would have to basically reorganize the United States' entire industrial base mm-hmm. to even match what the Russians are firing so it's it's an amazing sets of stats but um, it, ju- it shows you, yeah, okay it's an old school artillery war but it's over, so here we have like General McGregor and Scott Ritter's insistence for months now look, this is over, all over by the crying and people still say to them, but it, I don't know I see it's still going on but only because you're still throwing bodies at it. Yeah, why are they doing that? To keep the racket going it's good for the West. Money. Money. That's how, that's, that, that's I mean <laughs> an example But, but, but the your detachment from the reality of the narrative, narrative-wise. But the narrative is to keep
2: people going to, to throw themselves at the, to keep, pe- pe- keep people in the West supportive of Ukrainian soldiers throwing themselves into a meat grinder and and dying yeah. for, no, for no reason other than the enrichment of people, Western oligarchs, basically, Western Western uh, elites. Um, so that's why they keep pushing out that narrative, but but from their own personal perspective, these elites are doing it simply because they're making a lot of money. It's good for the economy, and it's good for them uh, financially and personally. The same with the—I mean, the whole, the whole grain deal. We're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, about Ukraine and what's been going on in Ukraine this week. Like, I mean, the past few nights, Russia has been—you uh, know—sending, tagging Odessa with missiles. Uh, because, and this came immediately after mm. um, the, the collapse, the failure of the grain deal. It hadn't really been working for about a month now, anyway. Um, ah. But which was
3: preceded by another attack on Kerch Bridge. Right,
2: so a Kirch on, on the Kerch on the Crimea Bridge, uh, the attack, and that was, uh, you know, they used that as a pretext to say, listen, okay, we're officially getting out of the Green Deal.
3: and Which you immediately called. I saw your tweet. I was away, but I, your, your tweet popped up. As soon what as it happened, saying? you're like, I know what's going to happen next. <laughs> uh, Let's have a look. Um, now, yeah, Kerch Bridge is attacked by. Sea sea based drones, presumably, then they were sent out from from around Crimea from Odessa area. You tweeted the day of it section of one of the lanes of the Crimean bridge damaged. Timing is interesting given that the Black Sea grain deal was set to expire today, Monday, that's Monday last week, unless renewed by Russia. The attack on the bridge seems designed to ensure that Russia does not renew this deal. Putting pressure on global food prices. Mm-hmm. Um, my only question, quibble with that, is: Did Russia even need this provocation to not renew it, or were they not going to renew it anyway? Um, it was. It was.
2: It was. It hadn't been in operation. Hadn't been operating. I hadn't. Hadn't been. Uh, Grain shipments allowed by Russia out of through the Black Sea. But um, it's more than just green. It's 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 like they basically since since the attack on the bridge, they have officially cancelled the green deal, and also they basically blockaded Russian or, or Ukrainian ports, including Odessa, of what's left of the uh, Russia's uh, Ukraine's, um Black Sea coast. There's no more ships of any kind going in and out of. Ukrainian ships of any kind going in and out of um, Ukrainian ports, and then also they have specifically attacked the um, attacked Odessa and not just grain silos and stuff, but other um, military um, warehouses, warehouses and buildings, locations where a lot of that kind of stuff for attacking Russia via via the sea uh, were were being prepared. Uh,
3: so, it's, it's to interesting. To clarify, do, even by last week, de facto grain was not being shipped out from yeah. the part of the Black Sea Ukraine yeah. had access to. It had already stopped de facto. Yeah. Okay.
2: But a good a good explainer actually is from, uh, there was a UN Security Council meeting recently and Russia yeah. at, at the UN Security Council. I saw this. We'll, we'll yeah. just, uh, it's not too long, we'll just read this. Um, so... He's, this is a guy, the Russian ambassador in the in the UN saying most of you expressed in one way or another disappointment at the termination of the so-called green deal that provided for exports of Ukrainian grain to global markets. I have a question: for you. What what is it? What did you expect from the very start? We've been drawing everyone's attention to the fact that the initiative did not meet the initially proclaimed goal and was was gaining a well-defined commercial nature. Uh, in fact, from the very beginning. It develop, developed countries had taken the lead among those buying food from Ukraine. However, no step, steps were taken to remedy this end. So what he's saying there basically is that it had been turned into a just a money-making scheme by Western, Western, Western countries and Western governments to um, rather than feed the poor people in Africa or elsewhere in the world, most of the grain was actually being shipped to uh, ending up uh, with in Europe being bought at a very cheap price and then being added into the food supply and sold on at a profit basically sold on sold on to consumers in Europe at a profit. Um so he said, no steps were taken to remedy this trend. Cause the whole idea of the green deal was that it was, you know, officially the, the, the humanitarian West was saying we need this green too. And this. You didn't say that afterwards, now that it's been cancelled, what about the poor people in Africa? They were never getting any of it, basically hardly any of it. So during the Black Sea Initiative, a total of 38.2 million tonnes of cargo was exported, of which more than 70% went to high and upper middle income countries, including the European Union. The poorest states, notably notably Ethiopia, Yemen, Afghanistan, Sudan and Somalia, accounted for less than 3%.
3: And notice that that's the countries that are hemorrhaging migrants who end up in Europe. Right.
2: The next part part is quite interesting as well and instructive in terms of the whole idea of that war, everything around this war is a racket. Such geography and commercialization of an initially humanitarian initiative is easily explained by the fact that the owners of a significant part of ukrainian arable land, more than 17 million hectares, are Western corporations Cargill, DuPont and Monsanto. They bought up Ukrainian land after Kiev lifted a 20-year moratorium on its sale at the request of the IMF and became the main beneficiaries of Ukrainian grain exports. On the other hand, the Europeans who buy Ukrainian food at dumping prices, at low prices, then process it at home and resell as ready-to-consume goods with high added value. In other words, they earn twice. Mm. What, does ha- what does this have to do with the task of getting food, food delivered to the poorest countries, which... About which we have heard again today. Now, that, all of that is totally separate from part of the actual grain deal, which was that the Russia would allow grain to be shipped out of Ukrainian grain to be shipped out of uh, Ukrainian ports on the Black Sea, as long as sanctions were lifted on uh, Russian exports of fertilizer of fertilizer, for one, yeah. uh, which obviously is part of ensuring there's enough. Uh, fruit supply. food supply in the world you need to have the fertilizer to grow the crop so this was like, a, obviously, if you guys are so concerned about shipping grain out of Ukraine to poor countries around the world surely you should be happy to at least, you know, lift the sanctions on Russian fertilizer which is, is one of, it's the biggest fertilizer, uh, producer fertilizer in the world Between one of them and Belarus, yeah uh, Surely they should be have no problem with doing that because that's instrumental in making sure that the world can continue, especially poor countries can continue to grow crops and feed themselves. So, if your whole thing is humanitarianism, you should have no problem with the the the, the, the details of this deal that you supposedly agreed to, which was we allow grain to be exported from Ukraine, you allow uh, us to you should lift sanctions on us exporting uh, fertilizer, Russian fertilizer. But they never did; they no. never lifted the <coughs> sanctions on Russian fertilizer. So they reneged on their part of the deal. So the deal was defunct quite a long time ago already right. because it became very clear to Russia that the West was not going to lift these, lift these sanctions. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, But interestingly, uh, even in this the worst-case scenario in a certain sense, uh, for the West, it's not a worst-case scenario since you have these major Western American, really, um, corporations who own large tracts of, Fertile land in Ukraine who are growing these crops. Um, you'd think that they they have a vested interest in, in in that grain that they basically own a lot of that the grain that they own being shipped out so they can make the money on it right and now they can't, but um, the the grain can still be well for one, the grain will still be shipped, not necessarily via not not by a not via ports anymore, Odessa or other ports, but it can still be shipped overland by trains kind of northwards and westwards through Ukraine. Um, and not only that, but these countries also own land in other countries. They have a vested interest. They have, one of their products is, uh, is grains, you know. They own land, not just in Ukraine. They bought up a lot of land in Ukraine, but they have a lot of land in other countries. They grow a lot of other grain in other countries. So, the this attack on, or this kind of mothballing of the, of the grain deal means that like you, when, you read, when it happened you read that wheat prices soar. Yeah. <clears throat> Who benefits?
3: <clears throat>
2: Cargo. Cargo, DuPont, DuPont, and Monsanto. Monsanto anyway, no matter what happens, they that gain The anyways, house always wins. Right? Yeah. So the most Russia could do was actually to kind of like to make them suffer a little bit was to actually destroy the actual grain in the ports so, of Odessa so that at they least they're attacking... target grain stores. Yes, because that's... And weapons. That's Cargill, DuPont and Monsanto. That's basically, you know, the American governments are the CIA's grain mm-hmm. that they're making money from. And the money that they're making from that is ensuring the continued supply of weapons to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of quid pro quo. It's like, Ukraine, Ukraine has no more money left. What have you got? We've well, got land. Okay, give us the land. We'll buy it, quote-unquote, from you uh, in exchange for us giving you weapons and we'll... Uh, and, And the grain that you have, you know, the grain that's produced in the in in, um, uh, on that land that we now own that you've kind of traded with us, um, will make money on that in exchange for continuing to give you weapons. So, if Russia, it's totally rational for Russia to try and destroy that grain in order to reduce the profits that these Western corporations are getting from that grain, so that there's less, they're less likely to they're less likely to, ideally, I mean, it's not going to have any immediate dramatic effect, but it, it reduces their income through which they are continuing to then supply weapons to Ukraine. Right. So basically, it's an attack on the Ukrainian economy, which is now a proxy economy, run effectively. It's effectively the Western Western economies, but the, the whole Western is- economies can continue to finance this war for, for free, right? They obviously have been taking control of and taking ownership of Ukrainian resources of all different types. Mm -hmm. So all of those resources, which among which is is grain, are all legitimate military targets because it's the the economics that allow,
3: they're transferred into, they're translated into, uh, into weapons. Right. Interesting. And so gradually they end up militarizing the whole economy and then Russia's Inevitably faced with increasing expansion of what exactly it means to demilitarize said country. Yeah. What is still strictly a civilian or what is in fact a military target, <clears throat> it begins to grow and grow. And maybe they try to restrain to themselves, <throat> but the target range becomes much broader. And mm-hmm. so they did actually hit grain silos mm-hmm. in Odessa this week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In addition to weapons, though. Yeah, they didn't exclusively target that.
2: Th- that, that grain is, was being used to fuel the war in Ukraine, to fuel Ukraine's military capability. Ukraine says that's, that's totally justified, and Russia says, well, yeah, then it's totally justified for us to, to attack it. Right. Um, yeah, Ukraine has no real functioning economy. I mean, it's come, getting close to the point where Ukraine's going to have some serious economic problems, and they're going to be just left. The West will just walk away. Once Ukraine can no longer service its debt in the form of weapons, um, the West will lose interest in Ukraine. And it'll just become a kind of hobbled proxy state owned by Western corporations, you know?
3: Yeah. Um, Do you think... The vultures, basically. The prediction by McGregor that Russia will take Odessa might come through here. I mean if if there's now a no go zone in the sea between the point where mm. that tip of Ukraine meets Romania and Crimea, they've been blitzing Odessa port facilities all week long. Um the next natural step to preventing for permanently Ukrainian access to the Black Sea would be to expand that line. Mm all the way to Moldova. Yeah, well,
2: you'd have to be you have to they'd have to be sure that they had degraded Ukrainian uh, military capability in and around Odessa before they would attempt any um sea sea based uh, invasion. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you just you just you'd be in trouble. So it depends to the extent to which how uh, uh, effective uh, Ukrainian military um, capability is in, in, in and in, in around Odessa.
3: Yeah, The media is currently droning on about um, a Russian strike hitting a cathedral in Odessa. Yeah, that was probably... Uh, that was today or this morning? Yeah, that was
2: undoubtedly... Uh, air defense? Uh, yes. Either, either Ukrainian air defense or I wouldn't put it past them to actually blow it up themselves, to in some way or other target it deliberately themselves. So either an accidental air defense, Ukrainian air defense that, you know, incompetent or you know, not well enough trained uh, air defence personnel who ended up, you know, uh, hitting the church. But I think it's very specific. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was attacked because, again, this is a propaganda information war. Um, and it's, you know, has always been, you know, 50% that or more. Mm. Optics. And, and it's very important. So as as Russia attacks Odessa, and that's like a pretty significant blow to and the Green Deal being dropped, it's pretty significant blow to the Ukrainians and the Western backers. So They make what, it look as barbaric as possible. It, let's make it look as bad as possible. That's just the mainstay, like, everything. Everything Russia does, whatever way you can make it look brutal and barbaric, up to and including actually blowing up churches yourself and then saying, look, you know, during the overnight missile strikes from Russia. Because uh, the idea that Russia would have targeted um, a church is, is just silly, like, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, meanwhile, well, that's about all I have to say about the war in Ukraine. Um, but I wanted to check in with um, what the how the copers are coping. <laughs> so remember this guy, Simon Tisdall. Mm. Tisdall. Tizdal um, Tisdall. Tisdall. I think over the Guardian in London, headline "Putin has become a global bogeyman. Russians must exorcise this ghoul." Mm byline, accursed, ostracized, but heedless of the misery he causes. This accused war criminal is dragging his people into a moral abyss.
2: That's a, you know, is that in the opinion section? My comment is free, yeah. That's an interesting opinion, you know, and it's just a moralizing, moralistic opinion from a a Western lefty, you know, mind-programmed
3: crazy person who can't see reality. The, uh, The meat of his article... I'll summarise for you. He actually is hoping that um, Xi of China is going to come to his senses yeah. and help the world rid, help the West rid the world of Putin. That's basically what he concludes. Well, just, I mean, it's that's just that's the purest copium I've seen in a while. But, but it's, it's like, like a, it's, it's a copium it's a, it's squared. A, it's a
2: shocking level of lack of basic knowledge about how the world how, works. How things are going. I mean, but that's just like, here's what I would like to see happen. I know it won't ever happen, but here's what... Yeah. You know, I mean, why do not everybody start doing that? You know, I know. Now, I want to preface what I'm going to say here by saying that I know, I know that um, what I'm going to say is complete fantasy and it'll never happen. But I'm going to say it anyway, and yeah. I expect you to read it.
3: Why? Because this will make you feel good, better about. It, the me, it certainly
2: made me feel better writing it. So, yeah, it's it's bonkers. Arrest him. <clears throat>
3: Yeah his his concluding line is will g do everyone a favor and help russians exorcise the bogeyman. It's no. an intriguing hopeful thought. Yeah, intriguing and hopeful. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I asked myself I asked myself how I felt about this thought and I decided I told myself that it was intriguing and hopeful and, and I then, felt a lot more hope as a result of it and I want to share that hope with you.
3: <laughs> everyone has thoughts the hope but him. he put it in writing and then the Guardian editors put it on the yeah. website like Yeah. Uh, well, it's not all so black, though. Here's a... I mean, the, we saw the CNN clip with the Fareed interviewing Schmidt. Um, the, the Telegraph has a more reality-based op-ed here from that Kemp guy. Kemp is an ex-British soldier. Has been, Actor. Someone had a funny timeline of all his op-eds mm, mm. going back to March 2022. And they begin climbing. with... Flip-flopping, but it's overwhelmingly like, we got this, we're going to win, massive, Putin screwed, and it softens and softens, and mm-hmm. this is the most recent one. <laughs> At least it's based somewhat in reality. Ukraine's counteroffensive is failing with no easy fixes. Well, as we just saw when we explained the basic facts of artillery warfare, it's impossible, impossible to win. <laughs> yeah. And your NATO heads know that that's that's what makes them shitheads because they're 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 lying and they're throwing bodies at it because what does he
2: say the real source of the recent struggles are if it's not air power <coughs> artillery not enough shells
3: um God I can't remember it was that riveting that <laughs> no you can't remember um. <coughs> um it's it's actually kind of sick. He says the real issue is: does Ukraine have enough motivation
2: mm. to, to slaughter more of its yes, military
3: to 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 Prisoner. really go for and penetrate these nineteen fourteen style defensive belts of tank traps, barbed wires, minefields, minefields, mm-hmm. bunkers, and trench lines? Mm-hmm. So he his copium is um, that. They go with option number one, as explained by Schmidt, that they throw millions more people at the 60,000 artillery shells being fired at them daily. They don't have millions more people. Well, well, well that's, the, that's the question. McGregor suspects that the population is down to 20 million. Ukraine's population used to be 45 million. Obviously, not all of them were killed, but most of them left through economic migration and before the war, and now they fled as war refugees. But
2: most of them have a sense and don't want to be don't want to be fodder in a rich man's rich man's game.
3: Yeah. They take him to Western Europe and they're yeah, they're sitting it out. Yep. Um no that's it. Basically his hope is that more Ukrainians kill themselves. So um that's that's all I got about them the war in Ukraine. That's
2: all I have to say about the war in Vietnam.
3: Meanwhile in America Jesus Christ, that country is so embarrassing. Like the cringe coming out of the US. There are so many clips of it now, whether it's Kamala or Biden making some mm. faux pas, something unintelligible, something absolutely creepy. I used to kind of jump on it and go, wow, I'll add that to the collection. And maybe I'll show people next week on the on the newsreel. Now it's just the cringes. I actually scroll past it the cringe hits me yeah. and I'm not even <clears throat> willing to look at it.
2: Yeah. Here's, well, this should, This, I mean, you mightn't read this into the headline, but it's there in the headline. There's two things about it. So Biden invites CIA, CIA boss to join his cabinet. The US president asked the CIA, CIA director, William Burns, to play a direct role in his government. Now what? You need to rewrite that headline, right? <laughs> it's like the CIA has decided that Biden is too incompetent to run the country as commander in chief. So basically they have appointed the director of the CIA in, into the position of president. who will now directly take right. decisions rather than just sending uh, Biden the advice. Da- daily missives and what he should do because that's not actually working very well because the guy can't even read the documents properly and follow the instructions. So we have to basically put the CIA director effectively in the position of commander in chief. Uh, in the White House and have him run the country and just have Biden come out to fall down the stairs every now and again. Um, the other thing nice. is to contrast that with Trump uh, in terms of the switch over. Like Trump basically got in trouble and this was what we call him, Chuck Schumer. we have replayed that clip a few times of him saying that uh, the CIA had six ways from Sunday at getting back at Trump. This was mm. pre, you know... Uh, Mueller investigation, Russia collusion, blah, 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 blah. That was the six waves from Sunday that they went after Trump and it's continuing to this day, as we'll talk about it soon. But um, that was because Trump had dissed the CIA and told them that he didn't want their daily morning briefings. Yeah. Which is like, what well, do you mean, Mr. President? That's how you operate. The CIA, that's the how CIA, we tell you what to CIA do. The CIA tells you what to do and and, and then you do it. And he's like, no, I don't want to hear those anymore. I don't even want you guys to come in anymore. I'm, I'm not interested. I'm going to run it myself. And then he gets Mueller gets you know russia collusioned and uh you know blah 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 um and all the other stuff yeah. um and then the, the massive switcheroo when biden comes in to the point now that biden is basically has you know this uh, uh director whispering in his ear no mr president say something no not that no 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 mr. no all right look, in fact just, just let get me down ha- off the podium <laughs> yeah, let me let me get in there
3: um, well, the other third, sorry, little minor interesting thing about that is that the CIA director <coughs> is not part of the government. The Biden government isn't welcoming in the CIA director to become part of the government. The CIA isn't officially part of the U.S. government. Well, he is now. He is now. They've just, they've just made overt and official one. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, they've always run the country. Um Yeah. Um.
2: And just on on the same kind of topic, I suppose, not the same topic, but uh, similar (laughs) moves in in that kind of totalitarian, you know, ruled by intel agency. Topic: The U.S. creates permanent pandemic agency. The office will take. So, the U.S. government has launched a new agency to prepare for pandemics and other biological threats. Uh, With Joe Biden tapping a retired Air Force general to spearhead the project, it's going to be called the Office of Pandemic Preparedness and Response Policy. It'll be tasked with devising a response to public health crises, crises, coordinating scientific research and medical efforts. Against pandemics and providing regular reports to Congress. So basically, yeah, the CIA intelligence, uh, yeah, there's you know they've just taken over completely in the US. Yeah. Uh, unelected uh, officials who are you know are now overtly they have been covertly for quite a long time, but now they're overtly running uh, the US government and deciding the course on which the US will. Yeah. Will. will follow will take so that's and obviously they're doing that with an eye to some future pandemic so um
3: contrived or
2: not um
3: yeah yeah not biden created another new agency this week it just grows and grows and grows you know this one supposedly is to investigate and regulate ai Mm. okay we'll see where that goes um um,
2: yeah, on 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 Trump uh, news this week is that Trump was the 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 the, law, the judge overseeing the court case against him. That is basically, I mean, it's amazing. It's just like a case that has no merit whatsoever. Uh, he kept some documents, like every president, every other president did, and maybe talked to some people about them, uh, but didn't really, it didn't really reveal anything. But we're going to have a court case, and we they've decided that the court case is going to be in. Um, it's going to start. In May? May next year. So right around the time when, you know, the primaries, the the, the the election or the selection or whatever for the presidential candidate for the Republican Party is going to be happening and going to, because ha- it happens in advance when it's more or less known and it's officially announced, I think, in June yeah. or July. Uh, anyway, so right in the middle of that, Trump is going to be in court and this court case is going to go on from May, all throughout next summer, and probably right up until and, and through possibly the actual election in November. So this is obviously designed, like you've got a phony court case that has been now strategically um, timed to effectively try and take Trump out of the running or out of the, po- out of, out of the running for pre- the presidential Republican presidential nomination. So I think my prediction from a long time ago still is on the cards where basically you're going to have a hung election where nobody gets 270 electoral college votes and then all sorts of bullshit ensues after that. Um, because basically, it's I'm not saying this is exactly the way it's going to go because I don't know, but one possibility is that because of this court case and Trump and the, you know, the, the Republican National uh, Republican Party basically will decide that Trump Is not a good option because he's Mm. in. There's an ongoing court case against him. He's appearing in court on these charges. He's not a good option to pick. Therefore, that will go with DeSantis. Um, But Trump says, fuck you, I'm going to run anyway as an independent, so Trump runs as an independent, and you have DeSantis, DeSantis as a nominee, you have Biden as a democratic, <laughs> God, it's going to happen probably, it's crazy, but there you go. Dollary old Joe is going to be the democratic uh, option for president again, uh, and also at the same time you'll have uh, Robert RFK Jr., who will steal a lot of the democratic votes, so you'll have the Republican vote split, to whatever extent between Trump and DeSantis, you'll have the Democratic vote split between RFK people who have a bit of sense and most people, most Democrats who don't, still voting for Biden, and that way nobody gets 270 electoral college votes and you have a hung election. Then nobody gets declared declare president, and then, like we mentioned previously, the next step is then it goes to Congress to to, to try and figure out who should be president uh, among those four. Um, and it's probable that Congress won't be able to, to decide. Like they need a fifty or fifty, over fifty percent or fifty one percent majority. And Congress, you probably won't get that. Then, Congress, so Congress can't resolve who's going to be president. It goes to the Senate, who then picks who's uh, picks the vice president uh, from their running mates. Will that happen? I don't know. Uh, but even then, you only have a vice president, and you still and it can go on for months and months and months and go on for a long time, where you have no president running the country, which would be very fitting for America, because there's no point in having a president running America, because the Intel agencies yeah, run yeah, America. It. With the new permanent, yeah, COVID it would suit them perfectly well. Actually, it would, it would be pandemic. perfect, you know, because they would step yeah. in and they would have much more control, much more overt control. If there was no president, they would have to step in, and um, they would have to step in and and have uh, you basically, not officially, but they would, you know, be able to have a stronger argument for um, for taking more control over the whole situation when there's a constitutional well, there's a crisis. Chaos. Basically, you know, there's no president. What are we going to do? Well, we're we've been, you know, working behind the scenes for a very long time. We know how it runs, basically. So, you know, let's uh
3: here's a pandemic. Oh, let's run things. Yeah, oh, that's very elaborate. I like it. By the way, I'm not dissing it. But it's I, I, super elaborate. For me, it's done. more like, well, here's a control, a counter control. <clears throat> it still is like trouble, but people will just accept whatever they're told. Whoever's won. The count will be done in a way that it's not sclerotic and unclear. There'll be something clear. It'll be, it'll be unbelievable. Maybe it'll be Biden or maybe someone else. But And... Um, the, the, the only... There's no way... They won't be credible. There's no way they're going to be... Able, but they'll try it.
2: There's no way... land for rigging of elections and rigging of votes, there's no way they're going to be able to credibly rig the votes with four with a four-way split if, okay, for president.
3: that big. Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? Nobody's going to believe that Trump got... Uh, you know, say, so let's say it's between two contenders. Say they're rigging it and they want to do the usual 48-52, you 49-51 know, split. Right? So you take that 50, say roughly 50 for percent for Republican nominees. There's no way that anybody's going to believe that DeSantis got, got almost all of that 50 percent, or even that Trump got all of that 50 percent. and they don't want Trump in, so they're not going to give it to him. They're going to try. If they rig it, they have to try and give DeSantis you know, of the Republican vote 99 percent of it, and Trump won. For him to actually ha- to, to, to be a Republican president, and on the other side, nobody with the way the polling's going, nobody's going to believe that Joe Biden is going to get ninety nine percent of the Democratic vote uh, with with RFK as a.
3: If RFK goes independent, but if RFK does a Bernie Sanders and accepts the DNC's decision in June, they don't want RFK. Then they, <clears throat> they can easily. They gave Biden eighty one million votes in twenty twenty. They're not going. Yeah. In other words, he gets the 51% to whatever the split is between the two GOP candidates. So the if, the other big if in there is that if it's split in both, in June, if it splits both ways, if Trump says to hell with you, I go independent and RFK Jr., I don't think he will. I think he's, well, not he's getting, too polite. RFK's not getting the nomination. For sure, we agree on that. But then the if is, if he also does a Trump, is he enough of a, a rebel to, to go independent. To go independent. I think he might, but it doesn't he would matter do it, because, if he because doesn't. otherwise they'll just give another eighty-one million votes to Biden. They and he wins. but they can't
2: because it's a three-way split even without RFK. It's
3: electoral college votes. Remember, there's two hundred and seventy electoral college votes. Um, but if he gets if he gets enough EC votes, uh, Biden. Assuming it's Biden. The the split is still only over on the GOP side. In in 1996, there was a three-way race. And I think um, Ross Perot got a third of votes. Mm. But it was still handsomely won, re election by the Democratic candidate, which was Bill Clinton running again. The Democrats, the Republicans were split 50-50. But in Ross Perot, he made it huge, like incredible. It was the first time ever. So he was a candidate, Ross Perot. He was a candidate. Did he run independently? I think so. Um. Anyway, the, the, that's what I'm saying. The big if is that RFK has to. I don't know. Politely if accept the DNC's decision, even though it obviously it would have been him as a favorite. Yeah, and then do something <clears throat> ultra rebellious. Yeah. and he's such, He's. It's only recently he's gotten woke too. I think. I think the problem. You
2: know, I think that. the problem is is it, it's it's unknown, but it's basically what I'm saying is that. When you have two candidates, Democrat and Republican, people fall into one side or the other. Yeah. When you have three, you don't just split the Republican vote. You take away Democrat votes as well. You know, okay, you can allow for Reagan, like you say, and just get, try and convince everybody that all Democrats voted for for uh, for Biden. But if it's only Biden, I think, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe they did it last time, but it's, it's like...
3: It would, strain, it would strain credulity, credulity that, that, um, that's that, that, that... That's what I think is a lot more la- the likely outcome. Credulity will be strained beyond some point that may not express itself in actual political snafu. Hmm. But just, that, here's the outcome. There's a new president, and the credulity is strained. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But li- life still goes on in Washington, but it has gone beyond the point of... It already did. It'll just be uh, what I'm arguing for is a, yep. is that a worsening of the situation we had socially yeah. after 2020. Yeah, credulity was strained. Yeah. At,
2: um, at the very least, there's going to be some kind of major farce. Yeah, around the 2024 presidential election is in the US, there's going to be it's going to be a farcical and it's going to break down in some way or other. Yeah, it, it, the, the the democratic process will be will be broken.
3: It is next year by this, but officially of this
2: yeah. trial, Trump. Yeah, That's well, no, but I mean, it actually seemed to be officially broken, it'll break down in one way or another. It'll be something that will <clears throat> make it impossible for the normal election of a president to actually happen. Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: and it'll be recognized by a lot of people. It won't be just like people like Trump are saying you stole the election, it'll be the whole country will recognize uh, that this is a shit show, this is a joke. There's something wrong here. That's what I think anyway. It's just my crystal ball.
3: Well, in parallel with this, (coughs) the other trend that has continued um, all summer long is the the heat on Hunter Biden and therefore by proxy Joe Biden. Yeah, for sure. This week, Marjorie Taylor Greene was holding up giant (laughs) photos of snips from some of his videos. Mm. Um, She had to be censured on the floor, but still like it's pouring out of every yeah. door an opportunity that the Republicans are putting right. this intense pressure. And they're getting some help. I find this interesting. Have a look at this. This is um, this is evidence, evidence of a hand, a hidden hand in this process. You remember in the Epstein affair, the Daily Mail and its sister organization in New York, the New York Daily, T- Daily Post, I think, um, would publish really damaging evidence Some of it dating back 10 years of um, uh, people turning up to Epstein's mansion. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill Gates got ousted that way. Yeah, Bill Gates, um, the former prime minister of Israel and others. So the Daily Mail has this exclusive. So what this means is they're putting reporters, they're tracking, they're trailing Hunter Biden. And this is hilarious because... Biden was in LA, in L.A. last week to see his lawyer and the Daily Mail had some in, info on that and they were positioned outside to take a photo, scroll down, of while Hunter Biden was inside the building, his lawyer pops out onto the balcony to uh, take a hit from a bong. Yep. <clears throat> and, and now, that kind of thing is going on as well. There's a hand fueling the issues, you know? Um, or maybe... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much on the... Like, it's it's gonna...
2: I think it's having an effect already and that's why I think Biden is gonna be... You know, it'll be, you'll have to seriously rig the Biden vote uh, if you want him to, to win outright because more and more Democrats, as time progresses <clears throat> over the next year, and more and more stuff comes out about Biden and his criminality and his son and all that kind of stuff, more and more Democrats will, will, have, to, will have to seriously hold their nose... Uh, before voting for him you know what I mean so there's so many different aspects to it that are that are that are are developing that that just say to me that the whole thing is going to descend into a complete shit show and um, someone in the chat there just said that uh, RFK uh, can't run for can't run as can't run for president once he's declared as an independent and then doesn't get the nomination but um, he hasn't actually declared as an independent yet or hasn't declared as democrat he hasn't declared he's run as democrat yet has he he's declared he's running but he hasn't actually signaled that he's
3: I think he has, he's filed uh, he, he has filed to run as a democrat yeah, you sure? yeah
2: okay, files for paperwork, okay that was to run for president, okay, files for paperwork, that was never
3: no it's just that there's people
2: still saying that he should run as an independent so I suppose he can change his uh, mind people between are seeing now and
3: then they want, to they want him and Trump to team up and stuff like that because they're yeah. so close on so many issues um
2: but he—I wonder if there's a possibility that he can actually back out of that. But between now and then, you know, we withdraw his uh, filing as Democrat. Who knows? Anyway, we don't know.
3: It, it'll be a shit show, one way or the other. Um, the last thing I want to comment on is the. Hysteria about the weather. Um, <laughs> this, this was specific to Europe last week, I think, but I'm sure Americans got a a daily barrage of this stuff too. The following graphic shows the some of the forecasts versus actual high temperatures in the Mediterranean last week. Um, there you see 40 around Barcelona; it was actually 34. Um, 40 in northern Italy it was actually 37 and so on and you're like okay so they got it wrong but why why was it so wrong there's a, a blog people probably know about especially skeptics of the, the science on climate uh, what's up with that they published well they cited in fact a European Space Agency report that clarified why they quote Got it wrong. Um, basically it appears that when they were issuing their reports that the media picked up mm-hmm. and they painted Europe purple and red and white and dark and you know, on fire, that the ESA was giving them data based on satellite readings of the land temperature, that mm-hmm. is how surface how hot the surface of the planet itself is, the mm-hmm. ground mm-hmm. below your feet.
2: Rather than the air temperature.
3: You're supposed to give the two-meter air temperature mm-hmm. readings. And based on their readings, they had forecasted something that was farcical. Of mm-hmm. course, it's 50 degrees if you put your hand on the bundle of your car or something on the ground. But that's not how we do it. It's never been – never been and everyone knows that. So they, they, they issued a follow-up in which they clarified that. But by then, it had gone around the world. The, the journalists never checked or anything – 47, 48 predicted in Sicily and stuff. Mm, mm -hmm. And the actual temperature was maybe 40. A normal July week in the Mediterranean. Mm. And they issued a follow-up, but the media never gave the follow-up from the European Space Agency. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of hysteria that's going on. Part of what's really super, super annoying about this is that there are real things that are worth noting. So these marine heat waves are a real thing. In this case, the data is from buoys out in the oceans mm-hmm. that have been transmitting data for decades in some cases, or there are new fleets of them. But it's always done the same way. It's surface temperature from buoys actually recording rather than satellites, you know, mm-hmm. data being put into models and stuff. So the marine heat waves are, are legit. Um, uh, I think there's probably seen some of the graphs people are sharing like uh, the temperatures in some places are, are 5C and higher above the norm and the marine temperature readouts for the North Atlantic say are on track to be the highest ever in absolute terms this mm-hmm. year. There's usually a small variation mm-hmm. but this year is, is way over. It will be the highest line you see mm. peaking in them um, in early August. Um and then, of course, there's the fact that extreme weather is happening. Um, they had people's attention on Italy because record hottest day forecast ever, and it didn't happen by ten degrees. Mm-hmm. But it's weird they've got your attention to focus on that part of the world, but then they just left out the fact that a tornado touched down in Milan city center during massive storms that also turned streets into frozen mm-hmm. rivers of hail. But that got some reporting, but nowhere near that the, what they the want you to see is the heat mm-hmm. interminable heat that will just keep going and going climate change but they they more kind of ignore the actual extreme weather because they, kind of, they don't link it do they, they don't link it though although um, they do I and mean, technically
2: in all the documentation they do say that you know global warming man-made global, global warming will lead to more chaotic and erratic weather, including tornadoes and hurricanes blah 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 I mean in the official documentation they say that but they don't They focus on one thing just because I think people are simpletons basically and they just want to scare them into, you know, with the most dramatic story, which is like you're cooking, you're going to bake, you're going to burn. You know what I mean? I mean, there aren't tornadoes everywhere. So therefore, you know, no point in talking about that. But heat is everywhere supposedly. So, um, you know, that's what we need to do. Uh, You know, just talk about the heat. So, um, yeah, it's, but again, it's like we've talked about before. It's undoubtedly stuff going on you know, in terms of the marine heat waves or to do with uh, probably to do with um undersea seafloor uh, changes. Uh you know, when you get into that level of detail you you have to start questioning whether or not human human beings can be can be you know responsible for for an increase in undersea volcanoes erupting and that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, of course they'd say that yes, that is the case. Global warming, man made global warming causes all of this. Everything that goes wrong with the climate is always to do with man-made global warming. But it's like, yeah. whatever.
3: There was a massive die-off of um, penguins last week. Um, they washed up dead on a beach in Uruguay. Um, that's the kind of thing that they don't link properly. They, 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 they tell were, people... They were boiled. That's it, it, possible. Um, <laughs> it, it was possible it was an undersea eruption. There's some localised event that caused it, and outgassing yeah that knocked them out and they washed up. Yeah. Or a hot plume from an eruption, or something like that. But the when it's reported, it's like, oh God, look, what we've done the yeah, poor penguins. We actually them. No, 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 the population of um, this specific breed of penguin has exploded. It's, it's bigger than it's ever been. The Antarctic's crammed with them, and so mm-hmm. is South America. Mm-hmm. But there was an actual die-off, localized, and that does mean something. But it's the hysteria is just wrapping it all up wrong for people you know
2: yeah this there was this event in uh, I don't know if it's linked or not but there was this event in in Johannesburg uh, last week just expand that video so we can get a good look at it well I mean uh, play it can you expand it play it and expand it oh expanding okay boom check that out that was in the street street in Johannesburg the whole street, if you look like for in, in the background, the whole thing all the way along, straight up, um, more or less simultaneously. Boom. So, um... Nuts. The local gas company said it was unlikely to be a gas explosion, a gas leak, and, yeah, a gas explosion would tend to be more violent than that. It, it looks more like, not like... You know, it wasn't an ignited gas, you know, it wasn't like... You know... There was no fire. It seemed to be some kind of a rupture of something. Um, and along a, a, along a line, you know what I mean? Along In a straight line, it looks like there was undoubtedly some kind of a, a, a channel or a pipe or something. Well, it was man, man Might made. Might have been a gas
3: pipe, but. Yeah. But, but not. N- not the gas rupturing per se. Not the natural gas that is piped there. But. Um, something ru- rupturing the
2: pipe and then just causing a pressure, the pressure from the gas not igniting, but. Yeah, just uh, raising the street up in that way, you know. Yeah, really weird.
3: Um, there was a headline I almost retweeted it until I realized it was fake. I said, "Oh, better be careful there." It was it was actually the Irish independence Somebody had tweaked the headline to say something like um, ahead of upcoming hottest heat wave ever in Europe. Um, the Irish Ireland's COVID expert Luke O'Neill, remember him? It was like our Neil Ferguson mm. uh, recommends implementing lockdowns right in Ireland. It was, was like, it, gave me, it was a giveaway. I thought that's obviously silly because it would never get that hot that you'd need to do something drastic. Well, that was 36 hours ago. And the guy who retweeted it has since taken it down himself. So it was fake news. It was funny. It was satire, right? That's all it was. It was just a laugh. Well, have a look at this. 36 hours later, Telegraph. This is not fake. This is a real article. Mm. Rome hits 41.8 C temperature record, which as we just saw is probably debatable as to whether that's ground or air. As COVID-style protocols rolled out for heatwave. And if you go to the first paragraph, Rome was among several European regions to breach temperature records on Tuesday. It wasn't, but whatever. As a COVID-style protocol, Pro, as COVID-style protocols were rolled out across Italy, protect its hospitals from the unprecedented heat wave. <laughs> it wasn't unprecedented; it was normal. It didn't reach that hot. But, but everybody likes it. a bit of a COVID-style protocol, right? Well, they we all they enjoy are, them so much at the time. We have to protect, you know. Yeah. Um, what was the? I think the first mantra they rolled. Two weeks out? to flatten the curve. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Two to weeks. protect the hospitals.
2: Two weeks to, to <sighs> cool down the temperature.
3: So it was satire, obviously, but then it's not. The, the, you have people out there <laughs> who yeah. are not kidding. Yeah. They're serious. There's Ryan.
2: I have to look it up, but I, I was under the impression that that's the case. He's, Ryan uh, says that if, if RFK Jr. were to lose the Democratic primary, he does have the option to register then as an independent candidate. So I'll, I'll, I'll check that out and, and confirm it uh. I always thought that was the case, but uh, since people are debating it, I'll, I'll check it out, and, and we'll get a definitive answer on it. But that's, um, you know, that's my, it's my pet theory for like over a year now, and the band's going to make it, you know, I'm, I'm sticking with I'm, it. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to be Sorry. praying to all the gods but that, you that see, there are. I uh,
3: have to hedge. If it fails, I can't be associated exactly, with it. Exactly, <laughs> you can't be associated
2: with me. You'll have to disavow me. I need to
3: have a mundane <clears throat> control theory. <laughs>
2: you have, Yeah, you have to be on record. I it's still snafu, disagree. but... Yeah, we'll see. It's a long, it's a rather long, long way off. Anyway, so.
3: parting item for me. You said when it was an issue, blew up a bit as an issue. The old UFO disclosure thing mm. in June, because of the whistleblower called Grush who came forward and said, mm. "I've seen loads of stuff," uh, coupled with the strange incident in Las Vegas mm. being reported at the same time, but which actually happened back in May. Mm. Anyway, that did uh, elevate. UFOs or UAPs now to international media attention. Um, and you said the tell of that would be what happens politically because there were congressmen saying they were calling for investigations. Mm. Where would they go with that? Well, there was a development this week, not widely reported, but it's in the Hill here. Um, headline Non human intelligence, Schumer, Chuck Schumer, arguably the most powerful Democrat senator. Proposes stunning new UFO legislation. Legislation? I know, you like, no aliens allowed here. Uh, well, actually, no, unless you're LBGT. No, I'm kidding. Extraordinary
2: um, <laughs> legislation on July 13th suggesting that the US government on private or private contractors may secretly possess recovered UFOs and biological evidence of living. The key paragraph... Non-human intelligence... So What's he saying? What does the law say? The key you're paragraph
3: allowed. is, if you do a word search for... To that end, down there, the, 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 to that end, Schumer's legislation establishes an independent nine member agency, again, creating more freaking government agencies, to collect, review, and declassify UAP records. If passed in its current form, the law would mandate that all government UFO documents, quote, carry a presumption of immediate public disclosure. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, there you go. That's setting it up for sure. Except setting up a
3: limited hangout. A limited hangout because, of course, they will reveal everything they know, but... Um, still, that's... Well, it's, it's ticking along in official Washington.
2: Well, unless John Kirby says it, it's not true. And here he is. Uh, White House spokesman, formerly of formerly of the Pentagon, no? Anyway... Uh, he was Navy... State Department. State Department, sorry. Now he's a White House spokesman, spokesperson, and here he... Oh, sorry. Security Council spokesman, spokesman John Kirby. Go ahead.
3: If we didn't take it seriously, of course we do. I mean, some of these phenomena we know have already had uh, an impact on our training ranges. For you know, when pilots are out trying to do training in the air and they see these things, they're not sure what they are, and it can have an impact on their ability to perfect their skills. So, already had uh, an impact here, um, and we just want to better understand it. Now, we're not saying what they are or what they're mm-hmm. not,
0: we're saying right. that. There's something our pilots are seeing. We're saying it
1: has had an effect on some of our training operations. And so we want to get to the bottom of it. We want to understand it better.
0: So, yes. Do you believe these whistleblowers that have come forward? Yes. I'm not going to talk about individual whistleblowers.
2: I'm not going to talk about specifics. I'm just saying. So what you're saying is
3: aliens. Well,
2: I'm saying aliens. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. But I'm saying aliens. I'm saying at our training bases. I'm saying these aliens have had an effect on our pilots and our aircraft and our ability to perform their functions. We don't know what they are.
3: I'm not saying what they're not.
2: I'm not saying what they are. I'm not saying what they're not. I'm not even saying what they might be. I'm not saying not what they might be. But I'm saying aliens. So I hope you got something from that. <clears throat> anyway.
3: Do you have a joke to close out? This that was the joke. That was the joke. <clears throat>
2: Oh, a joke. I need a joke. I would have to, yeah, that would be a lot of pressure on me to come up with a good weekly joke, Neil. Come I don't on. not have many good jokes anymore. Just just talking about the news huh? is
3: a joke. It's all a joke. Yeah. It has to be a topical
2: joke, though. It can't just be an old joke. It has to be a topical one.
3: Okay. Well, I won't say mine then. No. All right, on that note, um, thanks Next for watching. Yeah. The oh commentator says the maximum official temperature ever recorded by any, any weather station in Rome, Italy was 42 C in uh, July 1841.
2: 1841.
3: Yep. Probably. Still if it was 42.5, like still like those heat maps are trying to tell you it like the roads are melting in Europe. They're yep.
2: not. And they're not. Yeah. We can't trust the government on anything except for aliens. So, two aliens walk into a bar. Yeah? What happens? Barman says.
3: Name your poison.
2: (laughs) Two aliens walk into a bar with a lion.
3: Okay. What does the lion want?
2: uh, Nothing. And they proceed to get drunk, including the lion. And then the aliens get up and walk out. And the barman says, hey, are you going to leave that line there? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, terrible. you see, if I don't script them, they're terrible. Actually, yeah, and it's <laughs> meant to be a giraffe anyway, so we've got it totally wrong. Anyway, yeah. So uh, on that horrible note, we'll, uh, yeah, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, watching, commenting. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with another show. So until then, have a good week. See you.
3: See you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Can't stop the signal now.